when you said toxic motivation, my heart broke a little bit. I thought, what, yeah. what is my firstborn saying to me? <laughs> what did you mean by that? I just meant in, in that moment that while it was good to be motivated and good to have goals and stuff, sometimes those goals can get in the way of mental health or just like having fun and not feeling guilty. It's Word of the Third, our reflections on purpose, life, and growth. I'm Toby Brooks. I'm a speaker, author, professor, and forever student. Each week on Becoming Undone, I bring you guests who've dared bravely, risked mightily, and grown relentlessly. High achievers who have transformed from falling apart to falling into place. But every third episode, it's my turn to reflect, refine, and reprocess on Word to the Third. This week was hard. It was kind of a wake-up call for me. I was told that several people had been asking around why I hated my job. Honestly, I was dumbfounded. I hate my job. I love my job. I really appreciate the opportunities that I get to try to inspire and teach others. And the fact that it aligns directly with my purpose to help others discover and pursue their purpose, it's a good fit for this season in my life. However, in retrospect, I've probably been a little too transparent about my ambitions. I've got goals and plans to multiply my influence and to help inspire on a larger platform. But after hearing that hard truth that people think I'm unhappy in the now, it made me realize two things. First off, not everyone in your circle is in your corner. I know that's cliche, but it's true. If somebody really has concerns about you, why would they talk to someone else without talking to you first? Brene Brown talks about how the person who puts themselves in the arena shouldn't concern themselves with the critics in the stands. And I get that. I do. Having a podcast, being on social media, those are ways we put ourselves in the arena. And it opens us up to criticism. That made me realize the second thing, that I have a role in this too. There's a fine line between being transparent for the sake of trying to inspire somebody, but the flip side of coming across like you're disrespecting your current place in life. I just got Kobe Bryant's book, The Mamba Mentality, in the mail yesterday. I'm looking forward to reading it. Kobe's arguably one of the best examples of extracting every ounce of ability out of life through a borderline maniacal work ethic and a commitment to excellence. But when Kobe was in high school at Lower Marion with dreams of NBA stardom, I wonder, did people think he hated his high school team? Did critics question his drive to reach the top? I doubt it. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not comparing myself to Kobe Bryant. But why do we tend to do the same in other aspects of life? A student with dreams of working in pro sports doesn't hate their grad school. They aren't running from their present. They're pulled toward what is, in their mind, a larger purpose. Somehow, that's been lost in translation for me. I'm seriously bothered to know. Maybe I shouldn't be. But I am seriously bothered that not one, but several people who know me either read what I've written or listened to what I've produced, registered that message as hated my job, and then decided that the next appropriate step was not to talk to me about it, but rather to discuss it among themselves. It just shows me that I missed the mark. My goals and my aspirations are to become the absolute best version of myself that I can. I'm working on a new degree. I'm being mentored by people I respect and trust. I'm mentoring others who also aspire to become their best. I'm doing my absolute best to be healthy and fit, productive and impactful in the world. That's the message I'd hoped the example of my life was sending out into the atmosphere. And yet somehow, apparently, 
the message that was received was that I hated my job. I missed the mark. So in a show that is by definition about failure, I see that this is a lesson I've learned the hard way before. And by the way, if you're one of those folks who had one of those conversations, could you send me an email or give me a call? I'd love to chat with you and deconstruct where I went wrong because a person can't fix problems that they don't understand. But that's an aside. This show is my latest attempt at podcasting, but it's not my first. That would be better every week. A show my daughter Brennan and I launched during her freshman year in college. I loved it, but it was hard for us to keep to a schedule. We ended up recording and producing just four episodes. I thought it would be fun to go back and perhaps re-release or repurpose some of the content here on my show now. And wouldn't you know it, in the first episode, we talked about how off-putting my drive and ambition has been to the people under my own roof, my own family. I don't know. Toxic motivation isn't bad by itself. In the eyes of the person with it, the goal is to inspire, to motivate, to model positive behaviors and attitudes. But sometimes, and in my case apparently many times, the message gets filled with noise. What's intended is not what is received. And you end up sometimes doing more harm than good. That said, I hope you'll enjoy this look back to a show my daughter Brennan and I recorded during the first semester of her freshman year in college when she was a vocal performance major at the University of Oklahoma in November 2021. I'm happy to say that she and her friends are working on a new show of their own now, hopefully launching soon. So while Better Every Week was a well-intentioned but fairly short-lived effort, we don't view it as a failure. It was simply a step on our paths toward success. I hope you'll enjoy episode 36, Toxic Motivation. She is a crazy talented vocal performance major and a freshman at the University of Oklahoma in Norman. And he is a father and husband and drummer and all kinds of different things and a college professor at Texas Tech in Lubbock, Texas. We are both stubborn and opinionated and committed to getting better every day. Better Every Week is the podcast for those who relentlessly pursue better. Hey, if you're on this podcast, if you're listening, if you're signing in, chances are this very first episode, one of two things has happened. We have hit you up and said, hey, we started a new podcast. You should listen. Or this is five years down the road. We've got a library of 400 episodes and you've binged, listened all the way back. And you're like, wow, they've gotten a lot better. So I'll go ahead and apologize up front. Uh, This is our very first episode. But I also won't apologize because this is our very first episode. Brennan and I have been working on this idea for months now, and it seems like one thing after another got in our way. But I'm excited to say we're finally here. Yay. <laughs> so the opening quote, today's topic, basically the way we handle this is we, we take turns. I, I'm a professor and Brennan's a student. And we want to look at growth from both of our perspectives. And in a way, society maybe doesn't look for ways that we can disagree and still show that we love each other. Mm-hmm. So when we started game planning for this thing, we brainstormed a, a variety of topics. And the one we wanted to start with is this topic of toxic motivation. Brennan, tell me, where did that term come from? Why did good old dad decide this would be episode one? I don't know. I mean... Why did you decide this would be episode one? (laughs) So this all started for me in the midst of the lockdown. And Mm -hmm. we were looking at an unknown future, uh, your junior year and your brother's eighth grade year. And 
as I often do, I decided to tackle the problem with a lengthy to-do list. Do <laughs> you remember some of the things I had for us to do? I mean, we had a lot of stuff we were going to do. We had a lot of like cleaning out stuff and remodeling. And I mean, we ended up watching all the Marvel movies, but I don't know if that was originally on the to-do list. Right. But I distinctly remember you, I don't remember if you mentioned it to your mom or if you said it to me, first of all, but you said, come on, dad, your your motivation's almost toxic. And at first I'm like, why are you being this way? When you said toxic motivation, my heart broke a little bit. I thought, what, what is my firstborn saying to me? (laughs) What did you mean by that? I just meant in, in that moment that while it was good to be motivated and good to have goals and stuff. Sometimes those goals can get in the way of mental health or just like having fun and not feeling guilty for like, oh, I'm just going to go like not do anything for however long. But I definitely think it was easier for me to recognize that in you because it's not easy for me to recognize that in myself when I definitely do that. Because I know that I do, especially in high school when I had like 7,000 things that I was involved with. Well, to be honest, that initial shock made me stop and tap the brakes a little bit and realize that, wow, maybe there's something to that. Maybe, Maybe this accomplishment motivation, it's either not healthy or maybe it drives people who are struggling with you know anxiety or or depression or other things especially in a vulnerable time it pushes them a place they don't need to be so the opening quote here that that I found that I really it really kind of stabbed me right in the heart it said feeling the need to be busy all the time is a trauma response and a fear-based distraction from what you'd be forced to acknowledge if you slowed down. What do you think of that quote? I think it's a blunt way to put it because, you know, a lot of times it's like, oh, well, you just, you should probably just slow down. Like you don't, you don't have to be doing all these things. And, and like, that's, that's true, but calling it what it is like a trauma response or like not, not wanting to acknowledge things like that's true. I, I think we all do that. And it's not always with motivation things that we, you know, there, there's a lots of different trauma responses, but it's definitely one, but it's one that goes undetected because it, it's positive. It's a good thing. You're being motivated. You're doing stuff. And it's easy to just say like, oh, that's not a bad thing. You right. know, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing drugs or something that's more like harmful to me, but it, it can be, it can be just as harmful. Yeah. So the reason I picked this for our very first episode as a professor, I'm seeing unprecedented levels of students with anxiety and depression suffering from this nearly endless, seemingly endless season of unknown and adaptation and uh, new normals and all those things. And it, it really made me realize that I struggle as a professor knowing when to push a student to do their best Mm -hmm. and when pushing a student who's at their, at the end of their rope, is going to push them over the edge. Like they, they don't, they, they need, I always say this to my students, you either need, if you're struggling, you need a hug around the neck or a kick in the pants. And my challenge is to figure out which one of those is the appropriate response. And toxic motivation is the kick in the pants. What have you seen during your freshman year in terms of students dealing with this pandemic and this unknown? I think, I mean, like you said, people either switch into like, all right, I'm going to do 
everything that I possibly can. And I'm not going to have any time to pause and think about it. Cause I don't, I can't think about it. Cause I'll get overwhelmed or they switch into like, I'm so overwhelmed. I can't, I can't even like do my work. I can't do. And, and then it's hard because like you said, you know, if, if a professor is, is trying to find that, that balance or even just like a mentor or someone in your life is trying to find like, all right, do you need a hug around the neck or a kick in the pants? And if it's the right one at the wrong time or like the right time, but the wrong one, like if anything is wrong, that, that really damages those relationships. And like, I think it's really easy for students to like, if a teacher is trying to push you um, to just kind of label them as like, mean or like domineering or just write someone off like that and then that door is no longer open anymore for them to be able to push at any point because of one mistake of one like misjudgment of when when is the right time yeah so this kind of leads us to this topic of stress and by definition stress i mean if we're talking physiologically stress is non-directional right Mm -hmm. you've probably heard about stress all your life and you hear that term and you think negative by definition, you stress is actually positive. Um, you're prepping for juries. Tell, tell our audience what juries are and why they're stressful. They're, they are very stressful, although I'm excited. Maybe they'll be less stressful after I get through this first one. But juries is like singing or, or instrumentalist. I, I think some theater people do it too. It's It's like your final at the end where if you haven't had some other sort of solo performance, you go and you you have music that you've been working on all year or all semester and and you just sing it for people and they say good or practice more. (laughs) And so just knowing that that's living at the bottom of your syllabus and that you've got to do that. How has that changed your behavior this semester? I think, I mean, it's made me practice more. It's made me want to be more regular with my practice schedule, but I think it's also made me, no, like knowing that like I'm gonna have to sing in front of people regularly and for people I mean like I'm a vocal performance major so that kind of should have been evident but it made it very real like this is the time where you know you're gonna have to sing in front of all of these people who are so so talented and and like have have done so many so much great work in music like that's made me really want to practice getting in front of people and doing it and because in like simulating that environment mm-hmm have I done that enough? I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But <laughs> any, any students of mine who are listening know I'm a big projects guy. And so in my field in strength conditioning, athletic training, sports medicine, rehab science, whatever, we don't have things like that. We have practical exams. We have projects. And so I've always been a projects guy. And it breaks my heart when I see evaluations where students kind of miss why I gave them that project. And they're like, oh, it's just busy work. Mm-hmm. it's never busy work. Um, it, it's intended to be you stress. It, it is a project that will motivate you to grow. Distress on the other hand is directional. You stress is in the positive distress is in the negative. It's destructive. It leads to negative adaptations. So how do you tell the difference when that non-directional assignment juries has become you stress or motivating or distress and it's, it's putting you in a bad place mentally. Mm, I, I feel like studio class where we go and we have like a group of people who all take lessons from the same, from the same professor and we just sing for each other is like the like low stakes version of juries is what it feels like is you just go and you listen to people and you sing. And, and I feel like that has been 
you know, if you, if I go into my studio class and it's just like, I can't even perform in front of them because I'm just so like in my head about it. And I'm just like tense with all of this, like all of this stress, then that's when it's distress. That's when it's distress. And then, um, I think when I, when I get to go to studio, because I've, I've definitely had both of these throughout the semester where I go to studio and it's this like low stakes environment where it's like people are here for you and to help you going to that environment and like getting feedback. I, I think there's sometimes where I've left studio and all of the things people have said, like all of the um, like critiques and, and things that they're like, here, you should, you should do this. You should work on this. If, if I leave studio and I'm like, okay, these are easy things that I can implement that I know how to do that. I know how to practice doing. And it's, I'm just like, it's, it's kind of the same sort of tension, but in a more like excited way than like, it's like, it's not tense. It's like, um, just like excited. And, and I, I'm stressed because I'm like, oh, there's all of these things to work on. But if I know how to work on them, then I'm like, I'm ready to go. Like, get me a practice room right now, like ready to work. Right. There's a, an old saying that says, if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. I know you've had friends who went on to college into programs maybe that weren't super competitive and, you know, they got the leads as freshmen. Um, whereas when you went to OU, you thought about doing musical theater and you're like, oh, these are like Broadway ready people yeah. and I'm not ready for that rejection. Yeah. Um, what's the value for you in trying hard things? Mm. I think if, if you try hard things, you learn what you're okay with failing at, you know, because there's, there's some people who the thought of like working a day job is, is like really stifling to them. So, so they need a career in the arts. And so the idea of going in and like getting a bad performance review from a boss or getting a, you know, something like that, that is that they just can't handle failing at that. But if you don't try the hard thing of going and having that sort of job, like, how do you know? Whereas like, you know, there's some people on the other end of the spectrum where they're like, I can't handle the failure and rejection of the arts because, or, or like sports even of saying like, you're just, you're not good enough. I, you can't handle that rejection because that's more, um, more personal. So I think, but, but you can't know any of that until you try some of it. You know, you can't know that, like, I don't want to work that kind of job until you have some sort of experience in that and knowing um, what you can and can't handle and what rejection you can deal with. And that's the million dollar question is I need the hard things in order to grow. Mm-hmm. If, if all I ever do are the easy things, I never get challenged and I never adapt and I'm never better. But if I try things that are too hard and I set myself up for failure and in your area of, of study, it's, I can't even fathom the amount of rejection that a musical theater or a vocal performance made. I mean, you are, I mean, what's success for someone in your line of work as far as landing an audition? Like how many times out of a hundred are you going to get a call back? Not very many. I see it. It's interesting. I've heard people say like, your, your job is not to sing. If you're a singer, your job is to audition because that's what you're doing. 90% of the time is you're just going to auditions and you're being rejected most of the time. Yeah. And that's a mental shift from a lot of careers where I think about students going into medicine and, you know, they've, they've always been top of their class. They, 
they've always aced standardized tests and when they get out they've never experienced failure like they've just always won and somewhere in there is a happy medium a space where you're growing carol dweck talks about the growth mindset you 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 can't worry about the scoreboard today you got to worry about the organism you are that's going to come out the other end of this process so um we know you're going to ace juries, but if you don't, there's value in that. You you learn or you win. I mean, those are the options. Yeah. I can't even believe I wrote this next prompt. Um, people great. who people who know me from all my years in athletic training have probably heard me make fun of musicals, <laughs> and you have changed me, my dear. <laughs> but uh, my wife Christy and I went to see. Uh, Dear Evan Hansen, and yeah. I won't even lie, I cried like a baby. Um, I don't know if you are human if you watch the movie and or watch that show and don't do that. <laughs> but there is a scene and a song in the movie version of Dear Evan Hansen, and I don't even know if I can get through it without crying now, but there is kind of the, the class president, the do-all-everything Alana Beck. And she sings the lyrics, spot the girl who stays in motion, spins so fast she won't fall. She's built a wall of her achievements to keep out the question. Without it, is she worth anything at all? Tell me what that stirs in your soul when you hear that or read that. We'll be back after a quick break. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. I think, I mean, we all have things that we put our worth in, but I think when, especially in the place we live in the society and the time and all of that, that is where a lot of our worth gets put is, is in achievements. It kind of, when I, when I read that part of our, our outline, I, it made me think of a, like a conversation we had in my, in my global engagement, like study abroad foundations class. And we were talking about how it's a very uniquely American, uniquely United States thing to have so much, to put so much value in your career. The first thing you ask someone is like, what do you do? Like, what do you do for a living? Or, or if you're in college, what's your major? Or, you know, before that, it's like, what do you want to be? It's, we're so, so ingrained in this idea of career. And, and while that's, that's great. And it's really, it, causes success in terms of achievements if, if that's what you qualify as success but you know that can't be that can't be where you put all your worth and it's it's hard to find the, the balance yeah I know for me it's just the thought that achievements were a wall or achievements were a way of insulating myself against 
maybe what someone else thought of me was wanting to love it. But the professor in me looked at this like, you know, we, we're always looking for the top of the class. We, we want the student with the highest test score. We want uh, the one who interviews the best. And that really made me think about those students instead of just making an assumption like you're the best. Okay. Um, you're, you're the cream of the crop. Think about the high achievers, you know, to what extent do you think teachers, professors, friends, parents, whoever should be concerned about where that achievement motivation is coming from in that student? What are the questions we should be asking to make sure that those people are in a good place as they pursue excellence? There's not always a time or a place to ask this, but being like, Hey, like you're really good at this thing. You're good at this class. You're good at this subject. What do you like doing that's not related to this at all? You know, that's not related to your future. That's not a resume builder. That's not, you know, because sometimes those are the things that are the best resume builders because they're the character builders because they help with, help you to be in a good place mentally. So, I mean, I think questions like what, what is, what is fun to you? What do you enjoy? Because I think it's really hard for some people to think of things like that. Cause it's like, oh, well, I'm really good at this. Or I, I do this because my, whoever wants me to. So sometimes it's hard to think of those. What do you think? What do you think are those questions? Well, I, I know in my career, having you and, and starting a family changed me, but for the longest time, I was all about the business card. I wanted a business card that had an NFL team or a division one football team on it because I was insecure and I needed that external validation so that I could provide evidence to people that I'm worth it, that I'm enough. And I think far too often I've recognized that in myself, but I've never gone until I watched that movie. I never made the connection that other people do that too, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, the, the class president star of everything is just as insecure as the kid in the corner who won't talk to anybody. They're just manifesting it in a different way. And our society would say more productive way. But I think we're finally starting to pull the lid off this mental health thing and say, is it more productive or is it damaging? So I'll put you right on the spot. If you get really honest with yourself, where would you say that your desire to be successful comes from? What's your motivation? I think hmm, I have to think about this one. I think there there's definitely some times where I want to be successful because I want to be the best or I want to be better than others. You know, I, I, I have talked to you about this a lot before where I just get really competitive with writing. I want to have the best essay that anyone has ever heard and it's going to move them to tears and they're going to be so like their life is going to be changed. And they want to, and it's always when I have that mindset, when I get some sort of writing project that I'm like, all right, I have to have the best essay in this class. I have to blow everyone away. And, and I write and I start writing and I get this first draft and I'm like, I hate it. I'm, I'm trying to say all of these great words and I'm trying to be so motivational that it's coming off as so it, it doesn't go together. It doesn't flow and it doesn't truly reflect what I want to say. So, you know, that's exactly what happened with this last big essay that I did where I wrote an entire, I wrote the whole essay with that mindset, with the, to be successful in this project, my, my paper has to be better than anyone in the class, which is strange for me because I'm not typically super competitive except with writing. And, and I wrote the whole thing and I was like, this is terrible. And I just, completely scrapped it and rewrote and started at 10 p.m. the night before it was due and stayed up till 3 30 in the morning and like just completely rewrote it but when I when 
the purpose and the driving force behind that essay when when my standard of success was I want to say the things that are so true to me and I want to fully explore and explain and really clearly articulate what I want to say and what I think is important to me in this essay that's when you know I finished it and I was so proud of it and I was that's when I felt successful yeah. because I knew what the success was but I definitely think sometimes it's competitiveness that I you know that's why I want to be successful yeah I've made this joke to you well actually you made the joke to me you had me do the Enneagram and I'm an Enneagram mm-hmm. 8 and when you told me that I said well what's the best and you said that's the most eight thing you could possibly <laughs> say and so I read up a little bit more about it. I'm like well I've, I don't want to take this test if I can't win and so that's kind of hardwired into me but it doesn't come from a place of wanting to dominate somebody else uh, if I'm really honest it's it's because I'm insecure and it's because uh, whether it was failed relationships in the past or just the way I grew up, I just always felt like I wasn't quite enough. And if I did find success, there was an asterisk behind it. Like there was some reason to explain that away. And that's, that's a blog post I'm working on for next week, actually the asterisk. Well, you were right. You said, I I said, this thing's going to take probably 20 minutes. You're like, that's going to take way longer than that. So we better land this plane. I got one last one before we go to sprouts and seeds. Eric Thomas is one of my favorite motivational speakers. And he always talks about the power of your why. But a lot of people get told, they're told their why, whether it's by their parents or by society, and they end up pursuing majors they don't want, relationships they don't need, they take jobs that maybe they don't really care about. What are some strategies you can use or have used to own your why? I think definitely doing things that you have no idea how they're going to be helpful or how they're going to be good or how they're going to contribute to your success. I'm trying to think of a good example of that, but well, okay, this is a very, very random one, but I, I'm an arts major. So it seems like I want, I would, I should want to be doing things that are going to contribute to that in the future. You know, I want to get an internship over the summer at like some sort of performing arts thing, or I want to go to some sort of camp or conservatory or just do something that is, where everything is pointed in the same direction on the same path. And that's how I'm going to get where I'm going. But I don't think exploring things like I learn, I know how to knit. So learning, maybe I take a class and I learn how to make bunnies and little slippers, you know, like that. I have no idea how that's going to help me in the future, but it, it doesn't need to, you know, it doesn't need to help me in the future. And it honestly, probably it, it can at some point, there's no reason why that can't, you know, there was that, um, during the Olympics that I don't remember what, what sport he played, but he like went viral on everything because he's sitting there at the Olympics as a competitor and he knit himself a a sweater while at the Olympics. And like, he got so much fame and like, he was able to like share about his life and his story. And, and so it, it ended up contributing. That's not related to whatever sport he did, but I think just exploring things and not feeling guilty for that and just doing things that you're, this sounds fun. I just want to do it. want to do this thing, even if I don't know how it's going to help me, even if it doesn't help me it's worth it because it's helping me mentally. And that's more important. I think what you're talking about is, is an investment in growth and you don't know when that investment is going to pay off. I think about the, the senior directed you wrote and there, there were snippets within that, that didn't have anything to do with your ability to compose that script, Mm -hmm. but it added nuance and it, Mm -hmm. it flavored it. I mean, I think about the genius of Lin-Manuel Miranda, like, 
there's so many little pieces in there that he tucks away that his life experience made it matter more, right? And so it, it just it adds depth into what we're doing. All right, so a, a segment we want to run. This isn't just talking about stuff. We really want to. I hate to say it, but we're going to assign homework. Sprouts and seeds means growth never just happens. You've got to cultivate it. And so the assignments for this week, we'll just kind of take turns giving them to you in the next seven days. Make a list of exactly three goals that you want to accomplish in the next 12 months. It's almost New Year's resolution season. Don't resolve to do things. Set a goal. The second assignment is to look at the goals you set and write down, examine, determine, figure out what your why is. So just decide why you want to do those goals and why they're important to you. And as you do that, the last part of that is to really consider the fact that even good things can come from toxic places. I might be trying to impress a potential boss or a new (laughs) relationship, Um, but also bad things can sometimes come from good places. And so I tend to be a, a list person. And when I make that list, I never consider the why. I'm just so zeroed in on the task at hand. And so this is going to force me to to be reflective. And I think that's one of the keys to growth that's helped me probably the most is to plot your course, to do your work. But if you never look back, you can't ever really take inventory of how far you've come. And then you're constantly reorienting. Honestly, I feared listening back to the first show we ever produced would be more painful than it really was. But this message is timely for me. And just the thought that it was recorded by a dad at home in Lubbock and his daughter in her dorm room in Norman, Oklahoma, two years ago, makes me thankful for the seasons in life and the family who's been such a blessing for me every step of the way. What about you? What are you working on or waiting for? What are you doing in the meantime to get better every day? I'd love to hear about it. Surf on over to undonepodcast.com and drop me a note. Also, be sure to tune in for upcoming episodes. At long last, I'll be releasing my episode with my friend, coach, and author, Reed Mulby, talking about his new book, The Spartan Mindset. Then, researcher Dr. Ram Hadass talks to me about his journey from aspiring basketball player in Israel to recognized researcher in the U.S. And then, Dr. Quincy Conley shares his story of sports, school, business, and working in higher ed. This and more on Becoming Undone. I'm Toby Brooks, and this has been Word to the Third. Becoming Undone is a Nitro Hype creative production written and produced by me, Toby Brooks. If you or someone you know has a story of resilience and victory to share for Becoming Undone, contact me at undonepodcast.com. Follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Becoming Undone Pod. And follow me at Toby J. Brooks. Listen, subscribe, and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Till next time, everybody, keep getting better. <laughs>